Music from Enigma from their brand new recording called Moon. I'm Scott Colborn, and you're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena on listener-supported KZUM Lincoln. How are you guys and gals doing this morning? I've got Jack Reacher coffee in my cup. What's in your cup? Are you a tea drinker? Are you a coffee drinker? Probably a few soda drinkers out there. 33 years strong. We're having lots of fun. We're going to have fun this morning. With me is uh, Jim Shorty. Good morning. And Jim's got a full cup of coffee mm-hmm. and attitude, which is good. <laughs> and, I uh, always have an attitude. We're ready for adventure, aren't we, Jim? Yes, we are. How's your week been? Uh, well, I survived another one. Nothing memorable, no, huh? No, nothing memorable, no. I, I like it when things are quiet. It's been very dry here, so we're going to uh, look forward to some rain coming uh, later tonight, tomorrow. And uh, it's great to have you guys and gals listening. Sure appreciate you guys and gals being out there. We've got Charlene with Pet Talk. She's up first with dogs and cats for adoption. And Charlene, I understand there's something special happening today at the Capital Humane Society. That's right. We're having our Clear the Shelters event. It's a very exciting day. We already have people lining up. Wow. Um, we uh, are really excited to place a lot of animals in great new homes. Last year, 56 dogs, cats, and critters found homes. So we oh, hope to so do that cool. or even better. That's awesome. that's so we cool. have, yeah, we have beautiful dogs and cats and kittens and critters. So if you're looking to adopt, please come to our event today. Um, what do they have to do? Uh, just come to our Pylock Pet Adoption Center, where it's on six, uh, 70th and Highway 2. Um, we do have a special way that we are helping customers today, so you'll just come in the front doors. We have greeters. We'll get you checked in and show you how it's going to work. So kind of an assembly line for adopting pets. It's very, very <laughs> organized. That's, that's really cool. Now, yeah. uh, there's, there's more that you get than just an animal in a box. What what are some of the value-added things that, that have been done to these animals or that you get with these animals? Oh, that's a great point. So the animals are spayed and neutered. Mm-hmm. They're vaccinated. They're microchipped. Um, we do the things that we need to do to keep them healthy. We do have some special needs uh, pets up for adoption or just special pets, I should say, uh, like Odin, who needed to have his eye removed. Um, so there's just such special um, animals that are very deserving of being adopted. Okay, so it's your one-stop creature shop, so to speak. Yeah. Oh, that was pretty good, Jim. <laughs> everything's, <laughs> everything's taken care of. Uh, this is not a puppy mill. The people down there no. all care. No. Okay, a, a creature feature. <laughs> We've got cats and kittens for adoption. <laughs> And we're talking uh, half-price adoptions, right? That's right. All dogs, cats, and critters are 50% off today. Okay, I've got the cats and kittens page. More, by the way, folks, uh, capitalhumanesociety.org. If you want to follow along at home, we're on the cats and kittens page. And who do we start with? We're starting with Char. And she is a two-year-old spayed female, domestic short hair. She's gray with white, just the cutest look on her face. And she always has a cute look on her face, always just inquisitive and clever and ready to be a delightful companion. Now, Char, is that short for Charlene? 
It's possible. It's possible. <laughs> Beautiful eyes. Beautiful yeah. eyes. Yeah. Look at that. I love that little tilt going on with her head. What'd you say? What's going on? What? Yeah, beautiful cat. Take a look at Char, C-H-A-R, and she's joined by... Next up is Gina, and Gina's a big, fluffy, orange tabby cat. She's two years old, a spade female, uh, very, very sweet, um, wants very much to be an important member of the family, so she's going to be, again, very entertaining and charming. Uh, when you walk by her little condo, she's always reaching out to say hi, so <laughs> she's not one of our shy cats. <laughs> no, yeah, it looks like she's just ready to go. Beautiful cat. Yes. Take a look at the picture of Gina. And uh, two cats are better than one. We've talked about mm -hmm. Char, Gina, and then there's... Katie. And Katie is two years old. She's a lovely tabby cat. Surrendered to the Humane Society. Ready to find a great home where she's prancing and purring and playing and having a great life. The very stylish pose there, like she's strolling uh -huh. down the, the modeling runway, showing off her yes. stuff. <laughs> really pretty kitty. Yep, not too worked up. She knows what's going on, where she's at, and who's around her. And a very mm -hmm. intelligent-looking cat. Mm -hmm. Two cats are better than one, as they say. And with half-price adoptions, you can get two cats for the price, for the price of, one. of one today. Yeah. Char, Gina, and Katie. Uh, I adopted two cats many, many years ago, and it was a wonderful experience because you could see them chase each other and play, and uh, sometimes they would fight and then end up sleeping nose-to-nose -nose in their kitty bed, and uh, lots of fun. So take a look at Shara, Gina, Katie, and the rest of the cats and kittens. Today's half-price adoptions, and here's Charlene with Hours Open. Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center is open today from 11 to 5.30 for our Clear the Shelters event, and we'll be open tomorrow, 11 to 5.30, too. Okay, Clear the Shelters, half-price adoptions also extend to dogs, and we are on the Dogs for Adoption page. Who's up first? We're going to talk about chaos. Oh, boy. <laughs> <He's> adorable. <laughs> Three months old, a little white pit bull with the cutest folded ears and big brown eyes. Uh, a young, active puppy looking for people who have plenty of time to provide care and training and exercise. Um, we have great tips on our website about how to provide great uh, puppy care. So he is looking for a fabulous family. Okay, Chaos is a three-month-old pit bull. And he's a very cute dog. Take a look at his picture. Boy, that doesn't melt your heart. Yeah. Chaos, C-H-O-S. Excuse me, C-H-A-O-S. C-H-O-S would be cause. <laughs> because, because of the wonderful dog he was or is. Okay, Chaos is joined by... Dexter. And he's a very handsome Siberian husky, three years old. Uh, Huskies are very, very intelligent, playful. Uh, he also likes to run, <laughs> so he is looking for someone who can provide plenty of exercise and training, who understands Husky behavior and will adore him and take good care of him. Hey, Dexter, yo! <laughs> uh, he's got his leash on. Boy, he is ready. Look at that. Uh-huh. Interesting, interesting facial markings. Uh, take a look, folks, at the picture of Dexter at the, it's the website is capitalhumanesociety.org, but look at Dexter, what a fun dog.
Chaos, Dexter, and... I wanted to talk a little more about Odin. So I mentioned him at the start. He is a nine-month-old neutered male Australian shepherd mix. Very intelligent, very active, uh, loves to wiggle his little tail, (laughs) just wants very much to be an important member of a family. He did come in with that injury um, on his eye, and it's been taken care of. He healed up well in his foster home, so now he's ready to be your very smart sidekick. A beautiful dog looking for lots of love, Odin the one-eyed dog. Um, If you're special, maybe you need a special dog, huh? Odin is a cool dog. Take a look at his picture and the picture of Chaos, Dexter, and the rest of the fun dogs. It's Clear the Shelter Day, half-price adoptions, and uh, what are hours open? We are open from 11 to 5.30 today at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center. I should say that we will stop interactions at 5, so come before 5 if you're looking to adopt. And we look forward to having lots of people. Okay, what a fun day you've got going on there. Thank you so much for all the great dogs and cats. Thank you so much for all that you do. Okay, folks, go out and see Charlene and friends at the Capital Humane Society. And uh, I tried to uh, share their information also on my Facebook page. It's Clear the Shelter Day, half-price adoptions for all dogs and cats. And uh, it's a fun day. Go out and be part of it. Next up, we've got Lloyd Arbach. He's the parapsychologist and author, the consultant to motion pictures and television. And he joins us every third week for Invisible Signals. Lloyd, good morning. How are you? Okay, Scott. Thanks. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm doing really good. I'm a coffee drinker, and so I'm deep into my second cup of Jack Reacher coffee. Are you a caffeine guy? I am. Uh, we actually have a uh, local coffee roastery not too far from me that mm. uh, has a free event every Saturday morning that I often go to. I'll get to be, taste 30, 30 coffees. I'll be darned. Awesome. Wow. Hey, I'm looking at the syllabus for a class that you teach mm-hmm. through the Ryan Education Center, um, and it's the Introduction to Parapsychology. Yep. Just finished teaching that this this past uh, Monday for this session. Wow, what a class! Tell me, tell me how people sign up for this. Well, that class and, and all other classes, they can sign up by, by going to the Rhine Education Center. Uh, Rhine is R H I N E, like the river, and that's J B Rhine uh, was the person who started the original uh, laboratory that became his mm-hmm. Rhine Research Center. So um, it's Rhine for. For anything to do with the organization, it's RhineRHINE.org. They can also go to Rhine Education Center.org or RhineEDU.org. And in terms of the, the actual taking the class, how do they do that? They don't have to show up in person. No, these are online classes. In fact, uh, the next online class I'll be teaching starts September 10th, and that will be a field investigations class, so how we do investigations in parapsychology of apparitions, hauntings, and poltergeists, and what they are and how we deal with them, you know, how we help people with them. And these are online classes, so what happens is I do a weekly lecture, live lecture, which people can attend um, live if they want to, and the benefit of going 
being live on the web with us is that they can actually ask questions. Um, that's not to say they can't ask questions otherwise, but they certainly can ask questions live that way. And then the, the lecture is recorded so that anyone who can't make the actual time can watch the recording at a later time. And there is an online forum. Uh, there are actually several online forums where they can in, interact with other students. And there's one where they can inter- ask me questions, which all the students can take a look at. And then we have, uh, in the class, we also offer a lot of reading material and some videos and things, other videos and things, so that they really can get a well-rounded education. And students can take it either for a grade, uh, because many of the classes are, are going to go towards a certificate, or they can just take it for fun. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, either way, they can participate in a discussion forum. I have, like, a weekly question that I ask people to fill out, to, uh, to respond to, and then to respond to other students. And we even have, for those taking for a grade, a uh, kind of a short essay, midterm and final. Mm-hmm. Uh, who do you see out there, Lloyd, uh, in the population base that would be interested in this class? You know, if we could only get them to the page and the information, who would be people that would be likely to sign up for this? Well, um, you know, the people that we have ha- who have signed up for this, um, it started actually with a lot of pop- uh, larger population of students from the North Carolina area because that's where the Rhine Center is. But we've been getting students from Hawaii, from actually from other countries, sometimes from Canada and South America, um, people who just have a real interest in the subject or people who have had experiences. In fact, this Introduction to Parapsychology course, mm-hmm. I had several people who really got interested because they've had experiences. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to really understand what the science is behind studying them. Um, so guys or gals, obviously, either gender. Both. Oh, yeah. yeah. How about how about age? Uh, you know, could it like a son or a daughter of somebody listing sign up if they were interested? I had... I think the the youngest we've had was a 17-year-old. Um, I just had a couple of folks who are in college right now, and I've had folks who are in retirement age as well. So it runs the real gamut of that. I, I you know, just thinking back to my own interest in parapsychology, when I was a teenager, uh, I probably would have had no problem with, this, with any of the courses starting with, when I was about 14, because I'd already been reading about the subject. Mm-hmm. Hey, Lloyd, tell me about um, some popular misconceptions and their origins. Uh, You know, we've heard the term parapsychology. Sometimes in the same breath, people talk about the occult and New Age. And what are misconceptions? Well, first, there's a huge misconception about what parapsychology is. Uh, You know, parapsychology is... A, uh, it's kind of an outgrowth of what's been called psychical research also. Um, I mean, really, it's synonymous. Uh, the psychical research is the term that, that many people in Great Britain still use. It is the, of course, the Society for Psychical Research over in England has been around since 1882. And uh, J.B. Ryan uh, started using the term parapsychology in, in really around 1930 to focus on scientific research, even though psychical research was scientific and is scientific, it has focused quite a bit on uh, field research, research outside the laboratory. 
So most parapsychologists do laboratory research of one kind or another, but many, like myself, also do work with people outside the lab, whether it's with their experiences or doing investigations of certain things. Um, parapsychology does study these experiences people have we call psychic with the scientific method. Uh, it is an organ. The Parapsychological Association is an, is a association member of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, meaning they've looked at our field and said, "You guys are up to, up to snuff, and you are a science. We're a social science, of course." Uh, and I think that's another misconception. I think that a lot of people who are on the skeptical side say we're a pseudoscience because we can't, you know, we don't have replicable. Uh, experiences or replicable laboratory studies, which is actually not even true. And uh, they're comparing us to physics and chemistry, which if you were to compare psychology to physics and chemistry, psychology is definitely not a science either. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. You know, and that's, that's really important um, when I'm talking to people in the sciences. The other thing is that we are not ourselves necessarily psychic. That's a big misconception. And I think that was a misconception that was generated by many psychics, especially in the 1960s, who started calling themselves parapsychologists, or at least listing themselves in the yellow pages under the term parapsychologists. Uh, It just sounded better than calling yourself a psychic, apparently. And Mm -hmm. there are still people out there, I still see mediums and psychics occasionally using that term for themselves. And that's ridiculous. It's like like you or me calling ourselves psychologists because we have minds and behavior. (laughs) Uh, This is Lloyd Arbach. Uh, Last name is A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H. And Lloyd is the author of many, many great books. Um, If you went over to your bookshelf, you'd probably see some of his books on your bookshelf. And uh, he's also a uh, professor who has taught at the collegiate level, the classes in parapsychology, and offers a class such as the one we're talking about called Introduction to Parapsychology through the Rhine Research Center. Uh, Week two gets into some of the roots of psychical research. And you look at the history of this, um, it didn't just happen with peace, love, and war in the 60s. It went a lot earlier than that. Well, that's the thing is, Again, I think in the 1960s and into the 70s, there was something that publishers called the occult explosion Mm -hmm. because the counterculture of the the mid-1960s, especially in the late 60s into the 70s, publishers were publishing every kind of psychic and occult and new age and whatever kind of book they could. They were popular all over. People were looking for other kinds of answers besides traditional religion. And that did allow parapsychology to also be included in that. There's some great books uh, that came out for the mass market, actually, in the late 60s, early 70s, that hold up scientifically. Uh, they probably didn't do very well uh, in sales because they were not fluffy like so many of the other books. But that that associated us more, more strongly with the occult. That, and I think also the fact that certain TV shows, which I have to say were, were I loved, like Dark Shadows, um, associated parapsychology, or at least had parapsychologists in the show occasionally as characters, but they also dealt with vampires and werewolves and other things in the show, so it all got to lumped together. But the history goes back, actually, to scientists 
who became interested in the phenomena of mediumship and spiritualism back in the 1800s. I mean, we're talking about hard scientists. They were physicists and astronomers and uh, chemists. Uh, one of the guys who, who discovered the X-rays was one of the folks who was involved in the Society for Psychical Research. I mean, there were some really hardline scientists who were very interested in all the subject back then, and they founded the Society for Psychical Research and the American Society as well. So it's, it, and it's got, it's got a history that goes back further than that. There were other people who scientifically studied uh, with some of the early scientists in the earlier 1800s as well. <clears throat> so we have a long history, which most people are not only not aware of, but sadly most ghost hunters have no idea that the thing that they're doing goes back to the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lloyd, we, we hear th- occasionally through popular press about a ongoing experiment <clears throat> that is designed to kind of keep the keep a finger on the pulse of humanity and um, it's able to be predictive uh, is it a random number generator it's a sampling device of some sort uh, right and I wish I had a term for it do you, do you know what I'm talking about yeah it's the global global consciousness project and that's something that Roger Nelson, who uh, was formerly of Princeton University, has been running for many years. It uses <clears throat> 50 stations of random event generators around the world and combines the data, uh, uploads it to the web. Actually, you can see it on the web. And if you just Google Global Consciousness Project, and it seems to indicate uh, not periods of non-randomness in the data right before some major world emotional event happens. I'm writing this down, Global Consciousness Project. Yep. Uh, it, our, our late common friend Martin Caden, towards the end of his book, Ghosts in the Air, he had um, something that I felt was an interesting addition to the book. It really didn't talk about Ghosts of the Air. Caden mentions that there have been a number of times where atomic clocks at various places around the world differed substantially. And yeah, yeah. I thought about that, what, what, what that meant. And it, it meant that there was a different st- time-space continuum happening. Well, you know, Marty talked about time slips. Mm-hmm. And one in, in particular uh, incident happened when an atomic clock that was synchronized, I mean, they're all synchronized, mm-hmm. um, fell off by a couple seconds on Kwajalein Island. And it, the suggestion, you know, the, the thing that is about time is that we know that there are many things that potentially well, I shouldn't say many, but there are things that can potentially affect the or influence the. I, how do we say this? Um, the speed at which time progresses. Okay. Relative to the rest to other times. So, for if there's an increase in gravitational field, then that can affect the flow of time. If there's an increase in speed relative to the rest of the, the or acceleration or velocity relative to the rest of the universe or at least locally, then that will affect the flow of time. For example, there have been 
time dilation experiment done where you have someone in a fighter jet going at Mach 3, which is pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not the speed of light, but it's pretty fast. And then taking a, having an atomic clock on the jet, which was synchronized with the one on the ground, and they are no longer synchronized when the jet lands. Oh, that's pi- interesting. Mm-hmm. What happens is the, the clock in the jet is a little bit slower. Now, we're talking about millionths of a second, but it's still a, a repeatable effect, mm-hmm. proving that time dilation actually works because of velocity, well, the relative velocity. Well, and, and there and are... The idea that there are pri- private citizens, they call themselves time nuts, they've repeated these experiments with their own mm-hmm. personal equipment, and so it's not sure. just a government thing, It's it's been proven by by private citizens as well. And we've got an atomic right. clock in the studio here, Jim. Well, that's a, yeah, it's a radio-controlled atomic clock that's synced to uh, NIST in, in Fort Collins, Colorado, and those are normally very accurate, but we're not yeah. not on the scale of, of some of the equipment that these time nuts have put together, which is which is just awesome. They're over my head. Yeah, so, you know, it's, uh, it's a relativistic effect that's predicted by the theory of relativity. It's been proven, um, and we know it happens. Uh, it shouldn't happen with things on the ground. <laughs> that's the thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what Marty was really talking about, that mm-hmm. something was going on that kind of caused that off-kilter re- result. Mm-hmm. Lloyd, if people want to reach you uh, and to stay abreast of your classes, how can they uh, How can they do that? Well, stay abreast of the classes, the easiest way is to look at the Ryan Center's education page, the Ryan Education Center. Okay. Um, but, you know, people can follow... I do post things on my Facebook page, and it's just uh, facebook.com slash Lloyd Auerbach. Um, it's the easiest way to find me. Uh, also, uh, I'm just in the process of rebuilding my website, so that'll happen soon. But also my Twitter feed is a good way, which is uh, just at Prof Paranormal. And if uh, my email, if people want are curious about the classes, happy to send them more information. It's Prof, P-R-O-F, like Professor. ProfParanormal at gmail.com. Okay. Lloyd, have a great rest of the weekend, and if you venture down to that neighborhood coffee emporium, have one on me. All right, thanks, Scott. <laughs> or, or have 35 on uh, me. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, talk right. to you next month. Take care. Bye. Lloyd Arbach, pure psychologist and author. You'll find him on Facebook and uh, Rhine.org. Be sure and check out some of the classes coming up here. Okay, we'll do the bottom of the hour breaks, and we'll be back with uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley and Kevin Paul. They've co-written a book called Haunted Hills and Hollows, What Lurks in Greene County, Pennsylvania. I'm Scott Colborne with Jim Shorty. You're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. 33 years strong. Stay tuned for more. dudes and dudettes, it's Carol Griswold from Women's Blues and Boogie on your community radio station, 89.3 FM, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD.
support for KZUM comes from the Nebraska Recycling Council, helping to protect the natural environment and extend the life of our landfill, reminding Lincoln and Lancaster County that corrugated cardboard will not be accepted at the landfill. For more on recycling services and area drop-off sites, nrcne.org or 402-436-2384. And... The 2018 Nebraska Folk and Roots Festival, August 24th and 25th at River West Park in Elkhorn, Nebraska. With special guests, Peter Case, Becca Mancari, Evan Bartles and the Stony Lonesomes, the Wildwoods, and many others. Plus camping, tubing, and family fun. Tickets for this party on the river at NebraskaFolkandRoots.com. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Celebrate 40 years of KZUM keeping the blues alive at our third annual Blues Blowout Benefit Concert on Friday, August 31st, featuring the Indigenous, Lynn Blues Band, and Emily Bass Blues from 5 p.m. until late. Tickets online and at the Zoo Bar. Find out more at kzum.org. KZUM is hiring. We are looking for an outgoing individual who is passionate about our great city to join our development team full-time. If working for a growing community-minded radio station sounds like the job for you, check out the full job description and list of requirements at kzum.org. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me... Neither a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping big brothers, big sisters help a child. Start something today at bigbrothersbigsisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Born with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. That's music from Enigma. Their previous recording called Cobalt. And a brand new one's called Moon. It's great to have you with us, whether you're at the workplace or just kicking around home. In October, we turn over the odometer to 34 years of broadcast for the world's longest-running paranormal talk radio program. And uh, I don't have the 
head of hair that I had 33 years ago. But I'm, uh, <laughs> I think, a lot wiser. And a lot of it's been in part to the incredible people that we've had on the show over the last 33 years. We've got a great lineup coming up for you. Next week is Les Jensen with Forgiven Sinner, God's Last Savior. Two weeks from today is the annual KZUM Labor Day Weekend Blues Spectacular. I'll be here in a slightly different way. I'll be playing blues, rock and blues, for about two hours. Did it last year and had some phone calls of people that enjoyed the stuff I played, so we'll try it out again. Uh, the program format returns three weeks today. We'll have the annual KZUM Radio Fall Fundraiser. Our special guest is Andrea Perrin. And our goal is to raise $1,500 in listener donations on that morning for nonprofit, non-commercial, independent KZUM radio. September 15th, first-time guest Calvin Parker with Charles Hickson. They were in Pascagoula, Mississippi, and had a UFO close encounter. And the brand-new book is Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter of My Story. We'll be talking with Calvin Parker on September 15th. September 22nd is Lynn Robinson, Loving to the End and On, A Guide to the Impossibly Possible. And finally, the end of September, September 29th, we've got our friend Paula Harris, and she's the author of multiple books. She is an educator, a journalist with worldwide credentials, and we'll be talking about the upcoming Starworks USA UFO Symposium, November 2nd through the 4th in Laughlin, Nevada. Other guests in October include Dr. Raymond Moody and Lisa Smart, the University of Heaven, Prema Guerreri, Your Sacred Wealth Code, Carol Fleet, Loss is a Four-Letter Word. So we've got some great, great folks coming up. It gives me great pleasure to bring on our next guests. We've got Rosemary Ellen Guiley and Kevin Paul. And I finished their book last night. They've co-authored a brand new book that's getting lots of reviews called Haunted Hills and Hollows. What lurks in Greene County, Pennsylvania. And that subtitle, Jim, just grabs it for me. Yeah. You know, you can imagine when you, when you say, what lurks in Greene County, Pennsylvania, boy, the mind just starts to go. You start looking in corners and seeing if there's anything popping out at you. So uh, let's welcome to the broadcast our old friend and colleague, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and first-time guest, Kevin Paul. Good morning, folks. Good morning. It's really a pleasure to be on with you today, and you are so right. What lurks in Greene County, boy, we've just hit the tip of the iceberg. Okay, Rosemary, it's always great to have you on. You join us the fourth Saturday of the month with regularity for uh, In the Dark with Rosemary, a paranormal activities update. And we're occasionally so fortunate to have you as a full-length main guest. And now you brought your sidekick, Kevin Paul, onto the show. 
Well, I, I'd like to call Kevin more than a sidekick. He's uh, definitely an author and an investigator in his own right, and he knows that territory down there every square inch. And Kevin, welcome to the uh, welcome to the show. Understand that you were actually born and raised in Greene County, Pennsylvania. Yes, uh, uh, thanks for inviting me to be on with uh, Rosemary. Yes, um, my family's been here um, since before the uh, Revolutionary War, so we've got some pretty deep roots here. Mm-hmm. And y- am I right, looking at your Facebook page, you live now in Pahrump, Nevada? No, um, that was, um, that's a tribute to the late Dorch Bell. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I wanted to ask you about that. You know, did you, did you guys rub shoulders, but okay. So, Kevin. That, that, that's just my, uh, my attempt at a tribute. Are you still in the Pennsylvania area then? Yes, I still, uh, my family and I still currently reside in uh, Greene County. That's mm-hmm. correct. So, as I understand it, Rosemary, Kevin was collecting stories and doing research, and he came upon a couple of things where he said, I need another set of eyes. And how did you guys get in contact with each other? I was on Coast to Coast one night, and Kevin heard the show and sent me an email uh, Mm -hmm. saying that uh, there was a lot of activity going on uh, down his way, and... I ought to come down and check it out. Well, I, I get a lot of emails like that. Well, I and bet you do. I can't play go everywhere, but I when something looks promising, I do like to check it out if I can. And there was just something about his email, and we had a few exchanges about what all was going on. I thought, you know, um, this bears some checking out. And uh, I had some investigator friends that way, and we all got together and uh, met up with Kevin and... Uh, got quite an introduction to some of the haunting activity down there. And what happened was um, I wound up making uh, on my own uh, to work with Kevin just frequent trips, an eight-hour drive down to uh, Pennsylvania to investigate what was becoming obviously um, a very active area that had not uh, not been very well explored or documented. And uh, this project has gone on for some years, um, and um, uh, Kevin has um, done a tremendous amount of research on the history and, and the locale, and of course he knows literally where all the bodies are buried, so to speak. Um, and so it really enabled us to get at some excellent material. Kevin, some of these uh, are actually your own personal experiences. Um. Yes, uh, a lot of them are uh, acquaintances and folks I've known for a considerable amount of time, but there are some personal experiences uh, included in the book as well. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rosemary and Kevin, I was going to ask this question at the end of our conversation, but maybe it's a good time to, to ask it now. What is the cause of all this activity in Greene County, Pennsylvania? You know, I I think we have a variety of causes. Uh, There's seldom one particular reason why an area winds up being very active. But uh, there's a considerable uh, history of um, bloodshed and violence, uh, the uh, colonial Indian 
uh, conflicts that took place. Uh, there's a lot of archaeological material that's been left in the soil from Native Americans and the mound builders. And it's also uh, a very remote corner of southwest, uh, southwestern Pennsylvania. In fact, it's the very southwestern county in the state, but it's up against West Virginia on two sides, against the most big, uh, active Bigfoot county in Pennsylvania on, on another side. And um, I've often found that remote areas um, can harbor a lot of activity because it winds up being fairly undisturbed by people and by development. And um, uh, I know Kevin has some thoughts on that, too. I'd like to throw that uh, over to his take. Well, as Rosemary said, a lot of the county is um, sparsely populated. It's very rugged terrain. Um, We've got a long history here with uh, extraction industries. Uh, coal uh, goes way back, uh, as well as oil, natural gas. And in the last few years, there's been a, a sort of a renaissance in the gas fields with the the deep wells, the uh, Marcellus and um, uh, the Utica shales. Um, so we've got a. a county that has a considerable uh, at one time had a considerable Native American presence and um, uh, there was quite a slugfest here for a number of years a lot of skirmishes uh, that combined with um, uh, the extraction industries and uh, you know, a lot of timbering and that sort of thing I think just sort of uh, uh, kicks this kind of stuff up and it also leaves a lot of uh, imprints uh, in the land itself yeah, I'm not sure if it's the U.S. Geological Survey, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers, but but one can obtain uh, uh, magnetic anomaly maps. And I wonder if there are a number of magnetic anomalies that are also found in Greene County, Pennsylvania. Well, uh, I would... that's one thing that I have not yet looked into. I uh, In the first book, we took a hard look at um, at the uh, presence of Native American activity, and mm-hmm. a lot of these uh, sites where paranormal activity had been reported, but um, that is on the list of things to do, uh, is to look into the uh, magnetic anomalies as well. Rosemary, uh, is it true that uh, sometimes the very rocks and strata of the earth uh, can produce geomagnetic effects. I'm thinking of some uh, of the islands, uh, for example, Iceland, uh, that has a lot of uh, volcanic activity, and that seems to, so a few researchers believe, contribute to the, the, uh, the weirdness and the paranormal stuff that goes on there. Um, is that anything also that could be happening there, that there's a concentration in the very strata of the earth of um, uh, rocks and minerals that perhaps create a frequency that allow for some of this stuff to happen? I do believe that that is a legitimate factor in uh, the intensity and, mm-hmm. and uh, spectrum of haunting activity that uh, the content, the soil content and the contours of the land can 
uh, influence uh, these magnetic anomalies. And certainly when there's a lot of ore present in the Earth uh, that has um, magnetic properties to it, like iron, for example, uh, that would uh, have an effect. Uh, quartzite, um, which is found in a lot of granite-like um, material as well. Underground water also will uh, influence uh, magnetic anomalies. And uh, we uh, we have, as Kevin mentioned, all that mining going on for so long. Mm-hmm. And, and recently the uh, fracking that's uh, been going on to release uh, a certain kind of natural gas. And folklore has uh, held for thousands of years that underground conduits uh, can be used by spirits. And that's in many um, uh, scenarios, that's the abode of spirits. It's below the ground. And uh, so all this mining activity um, certainly contributes to those corridors and could even disrupt um spirit activity that's that's lodged in the land. And there seems to be quite a bit of land-attached activity in Greene County. But we also have mysterious creatures. Uh, we have uh, things that point to, like, interdimensional portals, mm-hmm. and that also could be affected by magnetic anomalies. We have a lot of UFO activity. Uh, it really runs the spectrum. And that's one of the reasons why we called Greene County the most haunted county in America, because of the um, the range of activity and the intensity of it, and the fact that um, it, it's not been documented before, and we're starting to document it, and and uh, uh, we've uncovered so much, and we know there's a lot more uh, to go. Mm-hmm. Aside from the historical references, uh, Kevin and Rosemary, is there anything special in particular about? some of the people that live in Greene County, Pennsylvania, are they themselves uh, different, unique, special? uh, We're very Appalachian here. Um, Tight-knit, close-knit families, very private. um, But uh, there's a long history of a uh, verbal... uh, folklore that's passed down and uh, when the book first came out I wasn't sure what the reaction in the community would be mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons um, having uh, you know since my family's been here so long I know how um, how adversely the community can react to things and um, I've been very surprised at the uh, incredible number of people that have come forward again it's just as in the uh, in Haunted Hills and Hollows, these are folks that some of them I've known for decades. And they're telling me stories that make your, you know, make your jaw drop open. And it basically what it boils down to, um, the thing that's unique about the witnesses is the vast majority of them are either living in a remote area where they spend an awful lot of time outdoors. And if you talk to folks um and i'm one of those people that spent a lot of time outdoors anybody that's spent a lot of time in the woods um in green county or neighboring fayette county or monongalia county west virginia uh, will run into things that sort of defy explanation and and make you wonder you know what am i seeing or what am i hearing um i'm hearing a lot of those kind of stories now from 
uh, guys that have uh, hunted all their lives and running into things that they just flat out can't uh, explain. So, you know, a lot of UFOs, a um, mm-hmm. lot of screams from creatures that can't be seen, um, that sort of thing, you know, the feeling of being watched, um, you're walking through the woods and um, all the birds and the insects suddenly fall silent and you have this incredible sense of, I need to get out of here, <laughs> and then wow. something just out of sight will scream at you, that sort of thing. Uh-huh. Wow. This is uh, Kevin Paul and Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and they're our special guests this morning. They've co-written a book that's just been released, Haunted Hills and Hollows, What Lurks in Greene County, Pennsylvania. And Rosemary and Kevin, when we come back from this break, I'm going to take now, I'm looking at the table of contents, Chapter 1, The Lobster, Alien, and other strange beans. Let's pick it up there when you come back, okay? Kevin Rosemary, does that sound okay with you? Oh yeah, oh, good. Yeah, I'll I'll let uh, Kevin Kevin take that from the top. Uh, it's a great story. It's one of my favorites in the book, the lobster creature. <laughs> okay, and I like lobster, so let's uh, <laughs> let's come back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley and Kevin Paul. Mm. Uh, folks, it's sure great to listen to you, uh, uh, your comments uh, when you contact Jim and Colleen and I. We appreciate hearing from you, and thank you so much for listening and being out there. Uh, 33 years strong, and we're having a great morning. And again, it's great to know that you folks are out there listening. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty. We got some Jack Reacher coffee. We do. In our cups, or at least soon to be in my cup. Oh, you need a refill. Okay. I'm on it. Kevin Paul and Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And you guys and gals, we are exploring unexplained phenomena. Hi dudes and dudettes. It's Carol Griswold from Women's Blues and Boogie on your community radio station. 89.3 FM, KZUM Lincoln, and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln. Offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. And from the 2018 Nebraska Folk and Roots Festival, August 24th and 25th at River West Park in Elkhorn, Nebraska. With special guests, Grand Ole Opry stars Rob Ikes and Trey Hensley, Handmade Moments, Jack Hotel, Matt Cox, and many others. Plus camping, tubing, and family fun. Tickets for this party on the river at NebraskaFolkAndRoots.com. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this 7-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. 
Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty, our special guests, Rosemary Ellen Guiley and Kevin Paul. And they're the authors of a brand new book, Haunted Hills and Hollows, What Lurks in Green County, Pennsylvania. And Rosemary, our, our common friend, Johnny Zaffis, I read his comments that he's been there and agrees that there there is a lot of weirdness going on there. Yes, I was uh, so um, impressed with what we were uncovering as uh, Kevin and I went along in, in uh, our researches that I wanted uh, John to experience it. And uh, so John and I were at an event uh, up around the Pittsburgh area on weekend, and we took some time off to uh, go down to Greene County and uh, go on location with Kevin. And uh, John, uh, uh, he really was blown away by uh, by the locale. Mm-hmm. John, uh, or I should say Kevin, the, uh, there have been theories advanced by people such as uh, the late and great John Keel that talk about window areas where there appear to be a, a heavier concentration of activity than randomness could suggest, that there's something going on with a particular area. And uh, Keel just used that umbrella term, window area. Is that what we've got going on there in Greene County? Is that, uh, according to that classical John Keel definition, a window area? I would say so. I um, definitely certain locations in the county. Um, the uh, location that uh, Roseberry and I uh, visited with John's office was one of those uh, places. Um, there's a couple other mentioned in the book. There's uh, a guy that uh, uh, we named Art Huck that encountered uh, a UFO in the 70s. Uh, that was the location and. You had earlier referenced the uh, lobster alien. Uh, that particular farm, I believe, uh, has some sort of uh, location, as John Q described, on it. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the lobster alien. Well, the lobster alien... Um, There's a individual I've known for several years. Uh, in fact, I've, I've known the whole family. Uh, they live, um, well, for your listeners, uh, Greene County is, the county seat is Waynesburg, roughly 50 miles south of Pittsburgh. And, and as Rosemary said, we've got West Virginia on both sides. So we're literally the corner of the uh, state of Pennsylvania, the southwest corner. And this family lives, uh, Waynesburg is not quite the geographic center, but, center, but it's close. This family lives maybe 8 to 12 miles um, north, northwest of Waynesburg in a farm that's been in the family for a number of years. And um, I was just having a conversation with, uh, I believe we call her Sherry in the book, uh, just about bits and pieces. And she 
launch us into this uh, story of this encounter uh, as a teenager um, where she had a what she assumed was a dream at the time where there was something outside the window and uh, went to, uh, it reaches through the window, window with a giant claw resembling that of a lobster, although the creature at the other end of it wasn't really a lobster. It just had these lobster claws. It was lobster-ish, I guess you would say. And it grabbed her by one arm and was dragging her towards the window. And I've, I've been in their house, and it's a, it's a second-story bedroom floor and a small sash window, typical of old farmhouses in this region. And she's trying to, you know, resist the efforts of this thing to drag her up to the window. And she gets to the window, she's able to brace herself against the wall and fight it off and collapsed to the floor. And when she woke up the next morning, the arm that uh, this creature had had a hold of was literally black and blue with bruises. So she didn't say anything to her parents at first. Um, she had had other odd encounters with odd creatures and seen strange things. And her mother particularly would say things like, well, that's your, uh, that's the aliens looking in on you and that sort of thing. Now, wow. There's a, um, uh, a wooded hollow uh, upslope from their house uh, that Rosemary and I explored. It's fairly heavily wooded. It's mostly clear. Um, that area does seem to have a sort of veil on it. I mean, you can literally feel it when you walk through. Um, Sherry, as a child, would walk up in, up there and have um, missing time when she uh, returned. Um, Rose, Rosemary and I explored it uh, one, I believe it was a November afternoon. The leaves were off, and um, there was a definite presence there. There was something um, that I could see that looked like a, a large yellow cloud was awfully interested in what we were doing, although I couldn't get a picture of it. It was moving among the trees. Uh, and I talked to Shag, I got together with Sherry uh, just this past week, uh, and she was telling me that um, there's a timber crew uh, taking some of the old, uh, they're trying to do some woodlot management, take some of the old timber out of the tree stand, and these two gentlemen are up on this hillside uh, logging trees. And there's, you know, besides this lobster alien, there's something else out there that uh, will scream at night. Um, and uh, apparently they dropped a few trees and shut the, the saws off, and something they couldn't see was screaming at them. And, and the, the two gentlemen were asking Sherry, you know, do you have any livestock in this field? And she said, no, there hasn't been anything in there for quite some time. Well, they've been seeing... Um, sheep but there's no sheep in the field uh, at all wow and in fact i don't think there's any on the adjacent property so it's not like they would be strays so the, this one spot although it's maybe 15 20 acres it very definitely seems to be there some sort of an access point or portal there uh, this is the co-author, Kevin Paul, folks, uh, along with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Kevin Paul and Rosemary have written a book called Haunted Hills and Hollows, What Lurks in Greene County, Pennsylvania. And uh, I know you want to know more about this. Go to Visionary Living Publishing. 
com, and you'll find the blurb there about haunted hills and hollows. I, I know, Kevin and Rosemary, that media and that landscape has changed quite a bit over the years. Uh, has there been a media interest, Kevin, locally in your book that you've co-written? Uh, have any TV stations, radio stations shown interest? Uh, are there still local papers there? There is a local paper that covers uh, Washington, Greene County, and part of Fayette. Um, that uh, we got in. Well, there's actually there's three local papers. One's a monthly, one's a weekly, and one's daily. The um, the monthly and weekly uh, boasted uh, write-ups. The monthly was small, mainly because you know space uh, restrictions in the paper. The weekly was the first one to come out. Um, and it uh, was front page, the bottom half. The uh, Daily, based out of Washington, PA, um, gave us uh, front page above the fold. Uh, it, it, when I saw the paper, it blew me away. I went to work and came home, and I had received a couple emails, and I checked, and the uh, Associated Press had picked up the story, and it went national. So that it ran in the um, uh, Chicago Tribune. It ran in the Kansas City Star. Uh, I ran in one of the papers on the West Coast, of the name of which, of course, I don't have in front of me at the moment. So it, we got some really good uh, old-style print press. Um, it's been on several uh, radio stations and radio shows, um, and I'm starting to get calls now about uh, interviews uh, for October. So I'm, I'm guessing we'll... Uh, get quite a lot of exposure going into Halloween. Boy, Rosemary, I would bet that there's almost a, a, a volume two in the making. Well, strange you should mention that, Scott, because we we have started on volume two. We intended a second <laughs> volume anyway, and we've uh, gotten so many um, stories just volunteered to mm -hmm. us as a result of all the publicity and people reading the book that uh, we've already got a terrific start on it, and there will be s some even more unusual and exciting things in Volume 2. Don't want to be a spoiler on it, um, but um, that newspaper article that uh, Kevin was referring to, um, it featured the lobster thing and a terrific illustration that we had to go along with it. It got picked up by AP, and it just went viral uh, all over the place, and... Um, that stimulated a lot of interest in the book, and we wound up hitting um, Amazon number one and number two in three categories for the supernatural and unexplained. So, congratulations! Uh, it, it's very gratifying to have years and years of legwork uh, mm -hmm. pay off mm -hmm. uh, with with a lot of attention and interest. And uh, that's the thing, you know, we're trying to bring a lot of information to the attention of the public to researchers. There have been uh, parts of Pennsylvania down that way that have been very thoroughly researched by the cryptid and Bigfoot people, but no one's ever really penetrated into Greene County. And it's, uh, it's nice that we've established now a baseline of, of activity that not only we can build on, but other researchers as well. There, there has been a history of uh, interaction, sometimes very, very violent, between uh, Native Americans who inhabited the area and the first settlers, the first attempts at colonizing, 
creating uh, farmsteads and things. How do you feel, Kevin and Rosemary, that that has influenced some of this activity? Oh, I, I think it had a huge influence. Um, I grew up uh, hearing stories from my grandparents about my ancestors that uh, they were German, and they apparently were not bashful about uh, skirmishing with the, the uh, local indigenous population. But as it turns out, um, I had, up until we started this progress, I thought I knew the history of Greene County, but I, I read some, uh, a couple books that my grandmother left for me um, to try to get background information on some of these paranormal hotspots, and just nearly all of them, not only were the uh, settlers and the Indians in close contact, but it was extremely violent. They, um, uh, there's graphic descriptions written in the 1800s of um, of a woman by the last name of Bozarth, uh splitting people's skulls open with their uh, axe. I mean, they uh, they it was no quarter. They went at it tooth and nail. And uh, and what that does, um, Scott, is it leaves a psychic scar on the landscape. And I've often talked about the blood and the bones that go into the soil. We have so many examples just in the haunting literature of of um, tremendous haunting activity where bloody violence has occurred, like on battlefields, for example. Oh, Gettysburg, Gettysburg. yeah. Probably one of the best examples of that. And Greene County was the site of a number of notable historical clashes. And it wasn't just the Indians scalping uh, the colonials. The colonials would, would uh, kill and scalp the Indians uh, as well. And entire families could be uh, surprised and massacred on both sides. And uh, we talk about uh, Chief Logan, who was um, an Indian chief who really tried to uh, get along with the colonials as they started moving into the area. Everybody live in peace. And um, he was the he and his family were the victims of a surprise massacre raid. His entire family was killed right in front of him. And as you can imagine, um, he was so enraged that he went on a revenge uh, blood campaign and paid back the settlers many times over. Mm -hmm. So we have that uh, psychic scar on the landscape. And then we have also the mound builders and the Native Americans who settled there and left their artifacts uh, from living and dying uh, in the mounds and surrounding areas. And uh, where new housing has been developed in parts of Greene County, these uh, these pieces, these artifacts, are being unearthed. And uh, it seems that disturbing them will often uh, bring on some haunting activity. Or you know, in the case of having an old farmstead and wanting to modernize, refurbish, remodel the farmstead or the farm, well, that's right, and sometimes, you know, it kind of works both ways. I've seen cases where uh, renovation and remodeling and building something new will disrupt the whatever residual activity is there. Uh, and then there are other cases where it seems to rile it up. That, um, and I think in the case of Greene County, there are resident spirits of the land, even guardian spirits, that have been there for a long, long time, and they seem to get... Um, upset when things get disturbed in certain ways. 
Uh, Kevin, do you do you feel uh, that there is enough activity that if somebody said, Kevin, I want to pay you a fee as a tour guide, I'm going to come there and and show me what's going on, that that you feel reasonably confident that you could probably take that person or persons to several locations and have them experience some of this weirdness? Well, absolutely. Um, Rosemary will tell you that the county looks small on the map, but um, the secondary and the tertiary roads are typical Appalachian. They're not uh, very straight, and sometimes it can take you a considerable amount of time uh, to get from point A to point B, but uh, you very certainly could... um, take someone on a, a spend weekend uh, looking at these sites. In fact, the, we're in the process at the moment of uh, putting together a, a self-guided um, road tour of the county to hit some of the uh, paranormal hotspots that are on public access. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of them are parks. Uh, some of them are businesses. So uh, we, we are starting to look at that right now. Mm-hmm. At Rosemary, from a marketing standpoint, I'm always intrigued about these books that have a geographical base or location. Where does one try to put the books? Do you find uh, tourist areas, rest stops, uh, places that would uh, deal with folks that would want to pick up historical information about Greene County? How does one go about getting those books out there? Well, what what you have to do is a lot of legwork, Scott, and uh, certainly bookstores are are going to be carrying it, and uh, the book also is available online. But we do want to hit those um, uh, direct point of sales where people are in, like, local stores, like um, a dry goods store, a drug store, or a gift shop, um, tourist places, uh, chamber of commerce, um, visitor center uh, locations, uh, things like that. Uh, to get information into people's hands and maybe, maybe even the book. So uh, it's just a matter of um, elbow grease and legwork. And again, it's a, kind of that wonderful catch-22 that the more that that word gets out there about the book and about your combined interests, the more reports and stories in return you're going to hear back. Uh, so things are still going on there today. Well, yes, they are. I don't think that um, <clears throat> when you have an active area that uh, the activity um, stops. It may, might go through cycles, and I've certainly seen that over the years, that areas that are considered to be hot spots, that is, with a lot of ongoing activity, will often be cyclical, and there will be periods where there's a great deal of activity and intensity, and then it goes into a lull. And what creates those cycles um, we can only guess at. Uh, We've noticed correlations to lunar phases and to seasons. Uh, I also believe that the focus of human interest has a lot to do with it, too. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there are certain times of the year where people, you know, the investigators are out more than than, uh, they are at other times of the year. So um, what we're continuing to research is ongoing activity. Uh, We found corroborating cases. Uh, people coming forward saying, hey, that happened to me too, here's my experience, that's always great to get because then you can build up uh, some real information for patterns. And then we're, we're also uh, hearing about uh, totally different and new encounters as well. 
Uh, I believe that the Bigfoot activity is probably pretty good in Greene County. It's just never been well documented because research, we only, we only know about the level of activity when it's reported. Mm-hmm. And in other counties that have um, had a lot of activity in Pennsylvania, like um, Fayette County, uh, researchers have um, posted uh, in, in the local media, call us if you have a sighting, you know, people are encouraged to report. And if people have uh, no encouragement to report or n- no known place to make a report to, the activity goes unacknowledged. And uh, so one of the things that I expect to see as a result of Haunted Hills and Hollows is that uh, we'll, we'll be getting more reports of all kinds of activity. I've heard Kevin and Rosemary uh, from other areas where there appears to be Bigfoot or cryptid activity that people, uh, researchers, go out and put up game cameras, and then they have odd things happen with the game cameras. Sometimes they'll mount them up uh, either in a tree or on a pole and then come back and find them basically unmounted, lying on the ground. Something's climbed up there and taken them down and put them on the ground. Like, you know, don't take pictures. Um, Is there a a thought, Kevin, Rosemary, to to maybe trying some game cameras to see if if one could capture on film some of this stuff? Well, the location that John Zappas visited with Rosemary and I. Uh, I did try using a game camera there on, on several occasions. Um, there was something that, that had come in and um, mutilated uh, a house pet and was um, would kill chickens and leave them in straight lines uh, lined up um, like like six six long stretched uh, beak to feet one after another. That's weird. And it was a locked, uh, locked building that the chickens were spending the night in. So I, I did, off and on, one entire summer, try to catch something in a game camera there. Uh, never got anything. Uh, we would bait the front of the camera, go out the next morning. Uh, if it, the bait would be gone. Um, there was nothing wrong with the camera. It just simply would not take the picture or whatever was taking the bait. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's so common, Scott. Uh, when people try nighttime surveillances, whether it's with a game camera or something else, that they rarely get anything. Whatever is out there is very intelligent. Bigfoot has demonstrated tremendous intelligence. I think other cryptids are uh, equally savvy, too. And if they don't want to be photographed, they're not going to be photographed. And uh, so tampering with the camera is quite common, Uh, as you mentioned, like even knocking the camera down or damaging it. Uh, And as Kevin mentioned, just mysteriously not managing to show up on it, Mm -hmm. even though they might be right in front of it. Mm -hmm. This is our friend and colleague, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. She normally is with us every fourth Saturday for the segment In the Dark with Rosemary, a paranormal activities investigations update. Uh, We're fortunate to have her today as a full-length main guest along with the co-author and first-time guest, Kevin Paul. Their brand-new book, if you haven't heard us mention it already, is Haunted Hills and Hollows, What Lurks in Greene County, Pennsylvania. And Rosemary and Kevin, what a great title. Uh, we well, can thank Kevin that was, for uh, that. <laughs> that was 
<laughs> well, I was going to say that was a collaborative effort, Don. <laughs> well, I, I suppose so, but uh, it is very evocative, and the cover artist did a, a beautiful job uh, evoking a very spooky atmosphere. And, you know, that's the way it looks out in the woods sometimes. There's kind of a foggy, misty look uh, on the cover, and she's added in some apparitions and a, a dogman cryptid and a flying saucer. But when you're out in the woods um, at odd hours, uh, like the early morning or uh, dusk and, and whatnot, it can be very misty at some times of the year, and it does give uh, an otherworldly look to the landscape. Uh, Roseberry and Kevin, when we're back from this bottom-of-the-hour break, tell me about spectral residents of Waynesburg. That's a good one. Sure thing. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty and you guys and gals, along with special guests Rosemary Guiley and Kevin Paul in their book Haunted Hills and Hollows. What lurks in Greene County, Pennsylvania? For more information on the book, go to visionarylivingpublishing.com. You'll also find Kevin Paul, P-A-U-L, and Rosemary Ellen Guiley, G-U-I-L-E-Y, on Facebook. Stay tuned for more conversation, including the spectral residents of Waynesburg, one of their chapters from Haunted Hills and Hollows, right after this. Hi dudes and dudettes, it's Carol Griswold from Women's Blues and Boogie on your community radio station, 89.3 FM, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from The Bay, The Bourbon Theater, Duffy's Tavern and The Zoo Bar. This is live music happening this week in Lincoln. On Saturday, August 18th, Bobby Masano plays the Zoo Bar at 6, followed at 9 by the Killigans with Red Max. And Chad Atkins plays the Bourbon Theater at 10 with Oceans and Audenson. That's live music happening this week in Lincoln. Support for KZUM comes from Rabble Mill, presenting Skate Art Music Anti-Gala on Saturday, April 25th at the Bay. Featuring New Jersey rock trio Screaming Females, hip-hop with Ebony Tusks, and 10 Nebraska acts on two indoor and outdoor stages. Plus, prize-winning skate competition and beer garden. Proceeds support Rabble Mill's mission to end generational poverty one young person at a time. More at rabblemill.org. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM.
Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena, along with Jim Shorney. We've got Jack Reacher Coffee in our cups. And ladies and gentlemen, it's great to have you with us. Our special guests are Rosemary Ellen Guiley and Kevin Paul. We've been talking about their book, Haunted Hills and Hollows, What Lurks in Greene County, Pennsylvania. And Rosemary and Kevin, tell us about spectral residents of Waynesburg. I think one of the most interesting stories uh, concerns the mole things. And uh, that gets tied into uh, a Native American artifact. Uh, Kevin, you want to pick that up? There was a uh, local contractor was working on a house um, in the rural part of Greene County. And they, uh, it was a very, very old house. It was on the um, 182 uh, uh, census. So it was probably, um, the log portion of it, probably 1780s, 1790s. Wow. And he was uh, hired to, uh, re the front porch had deteriorated. He was hired to remove it and replace it. And as he uh, removed the porch, uh, he came across uh, what appeared to be a, a mortar and pestle um, made of stone. And when he got home and... Um, um, of course, Google it as you would these days, and it it, it appeared to be uh, Native American in origin. So when he returned to work, he set it aside and continued to work on this porch. It, it required a complete uh, removal and replacement. Well, he lived uh, several miles away from the work site, and he started having these unusual dreams that uh, were these large black blobs with. Uh, come into the bed into the bedroom um get up on the bed with him and and try to suffocate him uh, his wife worked a different shift than he did so she many times uh, was up later than he was as were their children he would go to bed and have these um really bizarre realistic dreams of these black blobs trying to um smother him and he would wake up screaming and as it progressed um he would begin to shout at night uh his wife would enter the room and he would be beating something on the bed that only he could see um and the the large black blobs were replaced by smaller ones that were probably football sized but not football shaped they were sort of oval but they had um mole the front feet of a mole and they would scurry around the room and up and down the walls and they would try to get behind him to cut holes in his back and again it was the same thing they would uh, he would see them in his sleep and he would wake up uh, fighting them because they were they were uh, in the room with him um none of the other members of the family uh, saw them except for him when he completed the job before he put the porch floor back down he replaced what he thought were the Indian artifacts back where they were, where he found them and the activity ceased. However, there's been, we did uncover, um, there's multiple families have had, uh, encounters with these, uh, we call them the mole things. Um, and sometimes the black blobs, but, uh, uh, Sherry's family is familiar with them. Uh, one of their neighbors is familiar with them. Um, I've gotten a couple of stories lately, uh, people talking about, I don't know what these things are, but they look like 
black circles running around the floor or outside the barn. Um, and they've been reported in uh, Rice's Landing, which is the extreme eastern end of the county as well. Rosemary, this sounds a lot like uh, shadow people. Well, it could certainly be a shape-shifted uh, variety of them. You know, the, the things start out as black blobs, and many shadow people are seen as kind of pillars of black or just kind of blobs uh, that move around very quickly, go up and down walls, will jump up on beds, uh, and they shape-shift into other things. They can shape-shift into a humanoid form or uh, just kind of a cloud and my speculation is that whatever intelligence is behind these things, it pulls out fears from people's subconscious, and uh, that becomes incorporated in the shape-shifting. And so, you know, a mole, um, which is kind of a freaky-looking thing anyway, and they live underground, and they're very mysterious, and they have uh, pretty good claws on them, Um uh, something that takes the form of a mole that's trying to claw into you physically could be quite terrifying to someone. Uh, and so, um, I are there is there a race of beings called the mole things? I, I suspect more it's um, a shape shifted form that's uh, taken to accomplish certain purposes. Now, the fact that other people have seen these mole things um, starts. Uh, data for a pattern. Uh, you know, what kind of pattern are we looking at? And is there something that uh, is more likely to shape shift into that form than into other forms in order to terrorize people? Um, and I think that accounts for some of the uh, local flavors of activity that we see, not just in Greene County, but in haunted pockets uh, all over the planet, that there are things that seem to be characteristic to certain areas, and it may have to do with uh, collective unconscious uh, thought forms available. It may have to do with the land energy, the history. Uh, all of these things can contribute. I understand that as, Kevin, you were collecting the stories, and I don't know if you had already contacted Rosemary or you were considering it, did you experience sort of a men in black experience I understand that somebody told you to not contact Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Well, after uh, after I had uh, we'd been in contact for some time, um, I was walking home one evening, and uh, the gentleman didn't uh, didn't fit the textbook uh, Men in Black description, but uh, he basically told me. Um, and this is a paraphrase, uh, whatever I uncovered in the research with that woman, I was to give to him. And, um, and I refused. Uh, I had a similar experience um, down on the uh, trail in Rice's Landing. There's a, a river trail. It's an old railroad bed that's been changed to a uh, walking and biking trail. And um, I was down there one day trying to get some photographs and there was a gentleman who walked up to me, uh, an, an older gentleman, and I said hello to him, and he said people that poke around down here uh, often get hurt. You know, if I were you, I'd be careful, and he walked away. Um, since the book has come out, I've talked to a couple of our contacts in Rice's Landing, and I guess uh, 
uh, they give that guy the nickname the conductor because they, they say he appears and uh, <laughs> tells people to get lost. He certainly looks flesh and blood. I'm not sure whether he was or not. I know my camera wouldn't focus on him because I tried to get his picture. But um, uh, as for the gentleman that told me uh, to give him the research material, he he did not fit the textbook uh, yeah. Men in Black description. Well, you know a lot of the people. Did this guy look like he was from the area? Have you Had you ever seen him before? He looked like he was from the area, yes. Uh, yeah. In fact, both of them did. And how 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 would you suppose that you were to have given him the material? I was uh, I had the impression I was to physically hand it to him. I was more interested in knowing how he knew what we were doing because yeah, um, I I didn't broadcast that. We communicated almost exclusively uh, by internet. Um, so I'm not sure how he really knew what we were doing. It's kind but of he, a weird he, conversation starter to walk up to somebody and say. You know, whatever you're doing with that woman, give that stuff to me. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, you know, that is part of a classic men in black um, behavior pattern, too. Yeah. And e even though they didn't, uh, this one particular one didn't look the, the classic part, it's the same kind of warning. You know, in other words, stop what you're doing. Uh, and this has happened to a number of UFO researchers and cryptid researchers as well. Interesting. Um, the The book I finished last night um, runs, I think, uh, about 186 pages, more or less. And there are Correct. 17 chapters, Night Howlers and Forest Prowlers. Is that another descriptor for, uh, for Bigfoot? I would say so. Uh, the night howlers. Um, I had a family member who lived in the in a very rural part of uh, southwestern Greene County. Uh, one of his former neighbors, now deceased, claimed that there was a group would come into his yard uh, and essentially uh, scream all night long, and he referred to them as the night howlers. And this gentleman would uh, contact my relative. When they were there, and he said, you need to come up here and see this. But he was always afraid to go to his neighbor's house because his neighbor um, got so aggravated with him, he kept the loaded 30 off 6 by the door. So um, he was always afraid if he went up there in the dead of night to see the night howlers, he'd get shot. So he That's never right. actually witnessed them himself. Well, we've had a Bigfoot activity here in the Lincoln, Nebraska area, and... Um, one of the researchers believes that the reason why we've had activity here in the Lincoln area was because of the natural salt deposits. And uh, uh, all creatures need salt in their diets. And then following that, that uh, a food pyramid then, if the salt licks would draw things like deer and other wildlife, then you'd have creatures that would be prey or preying on the deer, they would also show up. Uh, and thanks to the radio show here, not too long ago, I had a contact of a woman who said her husband was driving in northeast Lincoln during a uh, earlier year snowstorm. And some deer 
were going to bolt out in front of the car from a grove of trees and then suddenly stopped. He managed to get the car stopped and the deer turned toward the grove of trees and then as if they saw something, they made a right angle turn and just ran, just full blast. And then this guy saw this dark shape run out of this grove of trees running after the deer. Have you heard stories like that, um, Kevin? That, you know, if you've got a um, creature that is flesh and blood, they've got to have sustenance, so they probably prey on deer or other animals. I've heard two that are similar. One's from um, neighboring Fayette County. I've, I actually met these people. They were berry picking um, and basically came face to face with uh, three uh, Bigfoot. Again, you know, these are farm people. They used to be out in the country. Mm-hmm. They still go berry picking, but now they go armed. And, and the uh, folks I was working with at the time were sort of laughing at them for taking a 357 Magnum while they were going berry picking. And I said, you know, you guys have worked around farm people before. You pick up a weapon for one reason. You're going to shoot something. You're either going to shoot a tin can or you're going to shoot a clay pigeon, or you're going to shoot something that's uh, walking around in front of you and you want to get rid of it. And I believe that, as you said, they ran into these uh, three Sasquatches that were eating berries. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a report from just outside the borough of Waynesburg in the book of uh, one that was in a family's garden. And I just got a report uh, last week from a deer hunter who was out in the western end of the county that he did not see the creature, but something uh, spooked a flock of turkeys that um, left an area very suddenly. He said it was silent as night. There was no uh, birds chirping, nothing, um, but he could hear something moving through the brush. He became fearful and returned to his truck, ran into another hunter about uh, two-tenths of a mile down the road, and he'd had the same experience. So, yes, I would say uh, it's a distinct possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, I run into other cases where uh, deer are fleeing from um, some Bigfoot-like creature. I published uh, another book earlier this year called... Uh, Chasing the Elusive Pennsylvania Bigfoot, Encrypted from Another Reality by Paul Johnson, who's a noted Pennsylvania ufologist and, and Bigfoot researcher. And he has some cases of uh, witnesses seeing deer, uh, like fleeing for their eyes, uh, followed by some uh, giant ape-like creature that seems to be pursuing them. There have even uh, been uh, reports of people seeing a Bigfoot-like uh, entity with a deer carcass slung over one shoulder. So they might like, they definitely like berries. They've been out seeing uh, foraging uh, for that um, in uh, the wild many, many times. But they might have a a taste for deer meat as well. Rosemary, there was a a chapter in this book, too, that really grabbed me. uh, Winged humanoids and dogmen. I mean, folks, this, I'm not kidding. This book is just unrelenting. There is 
chapter after chapter of activities happening historical and present day in Greene County, Pennsylvania. And you've heard us talk about a number of these things, including now winged humanoids and dogmen. Well, I, th I think it is true that uh, Greene County has probably a little bit of everything, and I don't think that there are many areas where you can say that, where uh, the spectrum of activity just goes from A to Z uh, and everything in between. So, you know, winged hum humanoids are, are famous in uh, the Mothman case, uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, which is not that far away. Um, but uh, Greene County has had its, its own wing humanoids uh, seen out in the wild. This particular one was perched on a fence post. We have a wonderful illustration of it in the book mm -hmm. uh, and was seen by somebody uh, driving along. Uh, and uh, there may be uh, more accounts uh, of these uh, things as well. Dogman accounts, by the way, have been on the increase, I think because of um, an increase in attention to them. Researchers have been paying more attention to them, collecting reports, and uh, so we've had an increase in dogman sightings all over the place, and um, uh, many are found in, in Pennsylvania uh, as well, uh, not just in Michigan, where the famous Beast of Bray Road is. Mm -hmm. and, and finally, uh, Kevin and Rosemary, UFOs over Greene County. Is there an ongoing UFO presence uh, or mystery there? Absolutely. Um, since the book came out, uh, I've gotten several very credible reports. Um, most of them came from, again, came from people I know. Uh, of black shapes, several of them rectangular. Um, one of which may have been on the ground. I have not, uh, don't have quite all the details of that report yet, but yes, there is, uh, there was quite a lot of acti aerial activity here. Um, some of the uh, reports in the book came from very well-established, very well-known, highly educated, very credible eyewitnesses. These things are seen by people from all walks of life, um, all over the county. So, yes, there's there's a definite, there's something in the skies uh, that, according to our best science, shouldn't be able to fly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you see a Lincoln log up in the air, naturally, I'm thinking to myself, okay, uh, propellers, I don't see any propellers, I don't see any flashing lights, how is that Lincoln log-shaped thing staying up in the air? Right. Or a uh, gigantic triangle. Now, granted, we have aircraft that are triangular in shape, some of the, the, the stealth aircraft, but people are seeing um, aircraft of immense size, they're triangular in shape, there's no noise, uh, the size is almost mind-boggling, uh, and when they leave the area, they do it almost in the blink of an eye. Well, Rosemary, we've got to have you and Kevin back. This we've just we've just scratched the surface, haven't we? Uh, it, it's true that uh, there's a tremendous amount of activity, and and not only that, Scott. We found that uh, the stories of the activity uh, were very rich in detail, 
and uh, had unusual characteristics to them. And, of course, here again, I've got to credit Kevin for his knowledge of the area and knowing so many people. We were able to get people to tell their personal stories that they might not have told them to just me, a stranger coming along, but because Kevin has uh, been in the area for so long and knows so many people and his family's been there for so long, uh, it made it easier for a lot of people to open up. And we do acknowledge in the book that quite a few of them wanted, still wanted privacy. They wanted pseudonyms. Uh, and so we were, we were happy to do that. Uh, and we were quite pleased to get such incredible stories. So uh, the report from the readers that we've been getting is it's hard to put down. It's a page turner. <laughs> Uh, some people have even said, you know, they got to sleep with the lights on after that. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe I'm a little jaded myself. It takes me a little more. But <laughs> at, at any rate, it's a real eye-opener. Well, I'm, I'm going to send you both uh, uh, some dates again later this fall to consider. I'd love to have you. I know you're busy. I know there's lots of stuff going on, but I'd love to have you back on the show. Well, we'd be happy to do that, and uh, with this um, map that we're getting together for the the driving tour, we're looking at putting together uh, perhaps some walking tours in town, if we can get uh, enough folks to join in on that. And uh, also at a conference next spring, uh, Kevin has done conferences in the past, but now we've got kind of an imprimatur to work with here, Haunted Hills and Hollows, Uh, and uh, so we're uh, looking to do that next May. Rosemary, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Kevin, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. And uh, I really do hope that we can reschedule another guest appearance with you both. Well, that would be uh, wonderful. And, you know, this fall with the Halloween season coming up, it's uh, always that time of year when people start thinking of these (laughs) things. Absolutely. Yes, anytime. Uh, Just send us some dates. Okay, Thank if, you very much. If you folks uh, are listening, especially those that are in that eastern part of the United States, if you've got more information um, to send to Kevin and to Rosemary, um, Kevin, you go first, then Rosemary. How can people reach you? Uh, easiest way right now would be email. Um, I set up a separate account for the book. It's real easy. It's haunted. GC, all lowercase, at yahoo.com. And my email is reguiley, G-U-I-L-E-Y, at gmail.com, and that's the best way to reach me. I'm also reachable on my website, visionaryliving.com and visionarylivingpublishing.com. It's been and qu- then you can read about the book, more information about the book, and also get links to... Uh, the media clips, some of the publicity that we've received, some of the shows we've done. Uh, Scott, uh, your show will be right up there uh, as well. Rosemary and Kevin, again, thank you so much. Have a great rest of the weekend. Well, thank, thank you, you very, very much. much. You too. Always a pleasure. Scott Colborn with Jim Shorney. Uh, what a program, Jim. Yeah, are you going to sleep with your lights on tonight, Scott? <laughs> well, I, I was up late last night, and I tell you what, it, it, it is a page-turner. There's just all sorts of stuff going on yeah, there. Yeah, fascinating stuff. we got to have them back on. You bet. Stay tuned for Vic and Mesoterra. I'm Scott Colborn. Really appreciate you guys and gals being out there. Thank you very much to Rosemary Lynn Guiley and to Kevin Paul.
Have a great rest of the weekend. And until next week, walk in beauty.